learn how Adam Sings in the Timber, native photographer, tells stories through his photos. This is Pow Wow Life for June 11th, 2019. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Powell Life. This is the podcast from Powells.com where we celebrate all things Native American, and we are your place to learn more about Native culture. Welcome, everyone, to the show, and welcome, everyone, to Powells.com. I'm your host, Paul Gowder, and I really appreciate you listening to another episode. For all the links and to see some of Adam's photos, be sure to head over to our show notes page, www.powells.com slash powwow life 25 music on tonight's show is from the live at crow fair cd make sure you check that out on itunes or google play or wherever you get your your music also want to give a special shout out to all the members of powwow nation thank you so much for your support your contribution helps keep this kind of content and our podcast going so thank you, thank you for your support. And this month for June, we have a special going on. If anybody wants to join Powwow Nation uh, at the $25 level, we're giving away free Powwow Life shirts for everyone who joins at that level. So go check it out at powwowlife.com and become a member of the powwows.com booster club. This is uh, your way to directly contribute and help powwows.com continue to produce quality content. And be sure to listen after the interview. I'm going to give you a way to win some special Powwow Life merchandise and tell you about this month's giveaway of a Pendleton blanket. So stay tuned for that after the interview. Now let's sit back and listen to Adam Sings in the Timber in this week's interview. With me on this week's show is one of my favorite photographers, the man I'm always waiting to see the next Instagram photo of where he's going to be, what crazy angle he's gotten and um the lover of wide angle lenses adam sings in the timber thanks man for being here yeah thank you for having me yeah uh, it's, it's an honor oh it, it's always great to talk to you you know and um it's of course you know one of the things i think uh before we even get started you have that unique style i think everybody um you know it's one of those things when you're scrolling through instagram immediately know it's one of your photos so um, I want to say that right off the bat. Love your style. Um, you have that look about your photos, so that is awesome. Great, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's become apparent to me that I have a style. I really don't know what my style is, but I know that <laughs> people always say that, hey, that's a thing in the timber photo. And yeah. Like, oh, cool. Like, you know, so I'm cool. Uh, it's cool that I have a style. Yeah, for sure. For sure you do. Um, and I think it's always hard to see your own style sometimes, but yeah, you definitely do. Um, well, so I jumped ahead a little bit, but before we get there, um, if you would, just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Sure. Yeah. My. Um, so yeah, my name is Adam Sings in the Timber. I'm a documentary photographer. I'm a member of the Atalaga Nation or the Crow Nation that most people probably know us as. I'm from Montana, but I currently live in Chicago. And that's kind of where I'm based, and that's where I travel from. Uh, yeah, I've been a professional photographer, I guess, since, I don't know, 14, 15 years. Kind of when I started school, um, I went to, you know, I studied at the University of Montana. I studied photojournalism. Um, I've always wanted to, not always wanted to, but, you know, when I went to school and I discovered photography, I 
just gravitated to photojournalism. So that's just kind of been my passion for the last, you know, for, no, for all my career is photographing Native people, telling our story, um, showing us truthfully. So just kind of what I do. And I try to make us look, you know, truthfully, honestly, my photos are, you know, full of honesty and I try to make them aesthetically pleasing. Um, yeah, I think you you do a great job of telling the story um, through whether it's a single image or a series of images. Um, that is definitely part of your style. Did you always, um, I mean, is this something you, you knew from a, you wanted to be a photographer from a kid or is this something you found in college? You know, how did you end up as a photographer? Yeah, so, um, well, no, I, you know, I hadn't always wanted to be a photographer. You know, when I was a little boy, I remember my grandfather had this cool little camera and I thought it was the coolest thing, and but I never got to touch it. I never got to use it. <laughs> um, I started my like sort of creative career as a guitar player. You know, I was I found a guitar when I was 12 years old. I traded my cousin a pocket knife for a guitar, and I because I just wanted to play it. I had wanted to play guitar since I was like four or five years old, and you know I did all the, the schooling. I went to an art school where I played guitar for two to three hours a day every day at school. And then I took about a year of college where I studied music, but I kind of realized that that kind of wasn't my career path. So I took some time off and then I eventually went back to school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew that I also liked cameras. Like I had been kind of dabbling with film cameras for a couple of years. And this was about the time that the first, um, prosumer dslr came out from canon i think it was just called a digital rebel it was like six megapixels and you know it was like an early birthday present for my mom and i just fell in love like i was just making photos all the time uh, uh a woman who eventually became a friend and a mentor saw me with the camera making photos of native people her name is jody rave and she really sort of set me on the path to becoming a journalist you know she sent me or she, you know, encouraged me to apply to the American Indian, um, actually, I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but it's basically a workshop for Native college students who wanted to get into journalism. And I took a three-week boot camp, sort of, in, about photojournalism, and then I had an internship at sort of my hometown newspaper in Montana, the Billings Gazette, and I just fell in love, and that's just all I've kind of wanted to do for the last, I don't know, 15 years of my life is just be a photojournalist, just tell stories and then tell stories of Native people. So that's kind of the short story. And then I've just sort of, you know, been a photographer ever since, just trying to get better, trying to make better photos every year um, and just get my work seen and also instill a lot of pride in my brothers and sisters, you know, my Native brothers and sisters about who we are as people. So that's just sort of a long story in a short way yeah and i couldn't help but think you started off with that small paper um things have changed a lot with journalism and photography now um has it how has it changed you know the way you handle things you know a lot of places are, are getting rid of their photography staff and um is it easier for you as uh so you do a lot of freelance work right yeah i do i do um, I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, it's really changed since I went to school. You know, I thought that I would finish school and then find, like, a daily newspaper 
and just be a daily photographer at a newspaper. I mean, that was kind of my goal. Like, it was just this small, simple thing, but, you know, I, I thought that's where I was going. And then as the years went on, kind of realizing that, yeah, a lot of newspapers were losing money. They were letting their uh, staff go, especially photographers. And I kind of realized that that's probably not going to happen for me. I'm not going to be a daily newspaper. And um, the other thing, too, is, you know, like nine years ago, I had my first child, and I kind of been also a stay-at-home dad while trying to be a, a working photographer. So I've kind of had to balance that out. So I've tried to make photos when I can and also be a full-time father. And as I've, as my children have gotten older, I've been able to devote more and more time to my photography. But um, that's kind of sort of my career trajectory. And now as they've gotten older, I've been doing more freelance, more personal projects, more you know, just making more photos as uh, as as I've had free time. That's cool. Um, and now you have uh, another photographer in the family. Yes, my son, my son Jet. He's nine years old. Um, I think about last last year, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Uh, he he asked for his own Instagram page. So, I uh, you know I set it up. You know I have I have a few friends. I have a friend, um, David Brown Eisen. He sent my son his old camera, and because my, my son was like really into like uh, he wants to be a photographer, or at least he did. You know, kids go in in phases of their stuff, and so I've been encouraging that. You know, he he got a, a film camera and a digital camera, and you know now he he also sh- so he shoots with his phone a lot now, but he also shoots with the Instax camera by Fujifilm, mm-hmm. and yeah, he just you know he just likes to make photos with me. Um, he's like a, he's like a media kid. So he likes to, you know, he's got his own little YouTube channel. He doesn't have very many videos yet, but you know, he likes to, he likes to be, you know, kind of in front of the camera as well as making photos. So that's kind of really cool for me to see as a father. Like, you know, my little, my little guy is like following my footsteps a little bit. I don't know that he'll grow up to be a photographer, but just that he's interested in it with me is, is kind of a, a cool father moment for me. And um, yeah, so he's got a sorry, I was gonna say yeah, he's got his own Instagram page. It's just jet dot sings in the timber, so it's pretty simple to find. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Everybody needs yeah. to go follow him. Um Yeah. Yeah, he he's got some good stuff out there. Um and he shot for us before, so yeah. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um and, and it's cool to see uh, you know it him involve, evolving. Um that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, it's neat. Uh, and it, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about. You know, he's uh, shooting a lot with his phone. Um, you know, the younger, younger generation, and of course, is in, in, well, even my wife. You know, she, people use their phones more and more, um, and it's you know they're they're probably better than the first digital cameras we had. Um, mm-hmm. So people are creating some really amazing images. Um, so that's cool to to see uh, what these you know, this next generation of photographer is going to do with, with the modern tools. Uh, they're really pushing the limits. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so, you know, I, I guess as you have a, a, you know, a sidekick now, what are you as, you know, you're trying to pass on your, you know, your experience. What are those lessons you're telling him about photography? Well, you know, what are the, um, or you know, what would you tell any young photographer? What what's those uh, 
you know, I guess, keys to, to seeing, seeing things um, and, and being able to capture it? Um, yeah, so I guess some of the things that I tell him to do, like, I don't tell him what to shoot. Um, I just kind of give him some tips, you know, like, you know, like, um, I, I ask him to, you know, be fearless, but also respectful, especially when it comes to native people to be, you know, to, to do what you can to make a good photo, but also be respectful of the people that you're making a photo of. Um, and as a child, you know, he kind of gets away with, with, you can get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> But, you know, he's also a compassionate little guy, and I, yeah, I tell him to put his heart into it. And then he's not quite old enough to really get into some of the, like, tips that I would give to other beginning photographers, which would be to do your best to, to think outside of the box, you know. And by that, you know, like, I encourage people to kind of get low, you know, like, not, not always stand up to, to get a little closer, to, to find different angles, to make photos from look at different light sources uh to to just in in whatever way is as comfortable as you can to get outside of your comfort zone to make photos that are different from what you made the day before just to try to be uh creative you know um the 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 camera for me is a tool like i'm not a gearhead anymore you know i might have been way back in the beginning but but now it's just a tool it's 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 sort of between the person or the people that I'm photographing and like my eye or my heart. Um, and, and so I try to just make interesting photos. And so that's what I would kind of suggest other people to do, to do as well. Um, to just, yeah, to think outside the box and, and try to comfortably get out of your comfort zone. That's great advice, you know, yeah. and it's really cool to see um, you passing it on because it, for me, photography, you know, whether it's it becomes as a career or not, it's one of those things that is always a skill that um, will serve you well in life. It, you know, it helps you see the world differently, um, and then practically, you know, when you get a family and when you you know, for friends or whatever, if you can capture those uh, those unique moments in life, um, you know, for me as as taking some taking pictures over the years of, of my family, you know, it's been awesome to be able to, you know, have a little bit of skill that, uh, that captures those moments. So that's, that's cool to pass that on. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I know I, I cringe when people ask me this question, but I have to get it out of the way because everybody's going to want to know what's in your bag right now. What are you shooting with? Oh, well, um, for the past, I think almost two years, maybe a little more, two years, I switched from Canon to Fujifilm. So I have a pair of Fujifilm X-Pro2 bodies, and I kind of, I have, I, I typically shoot fixed lenses. So I have what's the equivalent of a 24 millimeter, a 35 millimeter, a 50 millimeter, and an 85 millimeter. And uh, I also have a zoom lens, like a 70 to 200, but I almost never use that because like you said in the beginning, I like to shoot wide. I like to be close to my subjects. I yep. like to, to shoot wide. So for the most part, most of my shooting is done on either 24 millimeter or 35 millimeter. Um, and that's, that's like equivalent because the Fuji films, they're like a crop sensor. Um, so I typically, yeah, I typically like to shoot wide. I like to be close. I like to be low. Um, so what I'll do is I'll either have a 24 millimeter and a 50 millimeter and I'll just carry those two around like, like, um, 
one like you know one camera has a 24 one has a 50 or a 35 and the 85 and it's just kind of simple it's really simple like i don't have to do a lot of thinking if i need to zoom in further i use my feet um or or i zoom out with my feet so yeah my bag is really simple it's just a couple of bodies a couple of different lenses and spare batteries simple simple stuff <laughs> yeah lots of batteries um yeah it's cool it's it's uh for me, it's refreshing to see your photos because I shoot the opposite. Um, my 7200 is almost always on the photo, or is almost always on my body, um, mostly because I'm usually behind a table at doing a webcast, yeah. um, and so I'm shooting when I can. Um, in fact, uh, this year, uh, my daughter was in marching band, and I, it gave me the excuse to buy an even bigger lens. Um, <laughs> and I've taken that to a couple of powwows, uh, and it's a... Uh, what is that? It's like a two to five, I think. Um, it's almost it's almost too much. Um, yeah, almost, almost. It's huge. I mean, yeah, it, it's big. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's fun. It's it's got a couple of good shots uh, at the couple of powwows I took it to. It's it's too big to carry most of the time, but mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a unique perspective uh, if, if you want that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that it's almost like a, a head and shoulders portrait most of the time. But yeah, so it, like I said, it's refreshing to see your photos. I love seeing mm -hmm. uh, the wide angles, the the low. Um, and I'll tell you, um, one of my favorite things you've done lately, talking about the light. Um, talk a little bit about what happened. You know, I guess you were in California this weekend, right? Oh and yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Those backlit the, photos, yeah. Yeah, I went to the 48th annual Stanford Powell at the Stanford University. I was there for a day, and I'm, you know, I brought my cameras. And yeah, just you know, for the most part of the day, it was sunny, and the light was a little harsh. But you know, so I made photos, and it was really fun. Like I'd never been to a Powell in California before. But yeah, at night, um, it, it was outdoors, and so they brought all these like, like lights. Like so, there, there's basically I don't know. Halogen, I don't know, whatever, the floodlights, basically. Mm -hmm. And they're probably, I don't know, 30 feet, maybe 20 feet off the ground. So it, it's really hard to see the dancers. And it was just a fun opportunity for me to try to make backlit images. Plus, there was a lot of dust. Um, at the time, you know, I, I've, I've kind of had some experience with this before at Crow Fair. Um, because I don't know if, if people who know of me, they know that I'm Crow and I'm always photographing Crow Fair. It's kind of like, what's my favorite powwow because it's also my powwow. You know, it's my people's powwow. So, um, and and at night they have like these these big lights and and they're kind of hard to, to work with. But at this at the Stanford powwow, um, they had sort of the same lights all around the dance arena, pointing into the dancers, uh, but they were low. So what I tried to do was just position myself in a, in such a way that the lights would be directly behind the dancers so that it would kind of, you know, totally, you know, backlight the dancers. And then if I got lucky too, there was also a light coming from behind me to, to illuminate a little bit the dancer, but I was really going for those backlit sort of um, uh, silhouette sort of images with some dust. So that was, that was exciting for me to do. You know, I don't get to do that very often. So it was, it was just, me trying to make the best of what could have been a bad situation. Because when you're looking at yeah. that 
the dancers, it, it, there's a, you know, it's not apparent that it's going to be aesthetically pleasing, but until you start like adapting your style or adapting my style to, to, to the situation and then trying to make good lights or good, good images. So that's, you know, it was a fun challenge and, you know, I, it kind of blew up like this weekend a lot, like a lot of my photos, people were sort of commenting on, on how cool they were and I thought they were cool too, but. It was, it was fun. It was a nice challenge. And I wonder how many photographers were there that just kind of packed it up and went, well, this sucks. Light's terrible. I'm going home. Um, you know some people got to, yeah. had to be thinking that. Yeah, I wondered that too. You know, when I was, when I was there, I'm like, wow, this light kind of sucks. But if you can kind of figure out how to use it, that it could either be just okay or it could be magical. And I felt like maybe this weekend it was a bit magical. And, and I did wonder, like, I wonder how many photographers just kind of gave up because they didn't, they didn't really, I don't know. It's, it's also experience, you know, they, they didn't know what to do um, with it, but I was, I was kind of excited. I was like, I'm going to try to make something cool. And if I don't, Oh, well, but if I, if I can make something cool, then, then that would be great for me and it'd be great for the people that I'm photographing. And it'd be great for my, for my followers to, to kind of see the images that I'm making. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, it was kind of cool to see those blow up and, and get a big reaction. Um, as a, uh, you know, a journalist, journalist photographer now, how is, um, how social media changed the way you handle things now? Well, you know, um, I, I don't really know that it's changed a lot. You know, it just helps people see my work, like more people to see my work. Um, you know, when it comes to Instagram though, like specifically, I will crop a photo so that's more of a um like a hor like a, a vertical you know like a portrait mode rather than a um a landscape mode which is what i normally shoot mm -hmm. i almost never tilt my camera so i'm always like shooting horizontal so when i post photos sometimes i'll i will do a lot of um, vertical crops and that's kind of the only thing that it, it changes it, it changes my it, it's changed how i like um, put my photos out there, but it doesn't actually change my actual style of, of shooting. Because um, I'm always shooting horizontally. I almost never shoot vertically. And as far as journalism, um, I feel like I, I need to continue to just be truthful with my photos. You know, I still don't do any kind of like Photoshopping or photo manipulation. And if I do, then I will, I always like make sure that I, put that in the caption that, that it, that it, there was something that I did extra to the photo because as a journalist, I want to present the truth as I saw it. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really, it really hasn't changed a lot of what I do, just sort of some of the things and how I post and share stuff. Right. So, right. Um, any, uh, photography projects you got going on right now you can tell us about? Uh, yeah, I have, I have a, I have a few or a couple, um, I'm currently working on a portrait series that I've sort of titled Indigenizing Colonized Spaces. And basically, it's I'm photographing Native women and sort of specifically Native women because, um, as a lot of Native people will probably attest to this, is that Native women are the backbone of our society. You know, they're our mothers, they're the creators of life. They are like our sacred beings. So I'm photographing... Native women um, in their dance regalia, both traditional and modern dance regalia, 
in uh, like cities. And specifically, if I can, I, I photograph them in cities that are now on land that was once home to their ancestors. So, for example, when I was back home in Crow Country, I was in Billings and I photographed my friend, uh, Cammy Jo Whiteclay. Uh, she's Crow, and I photographed her in Billings, which is, you know, on land that used to be, that, that, that our people used to live on, the Crow people used to live on, and now it's home to the city. So I, I'm kind of just making photos of these women on land that was once home to us to also illustrate that we as Native people are still here, you know, that, that despite all that has happened, you know, all, all that, all that like almost genocide of us, that we're still here, that we're still strong, that we're still thriving. Um, so those are, that's kind of the main project that I'm currently working on. It's every chance I get, I'm trying to find someone that I can photograph um, and, and sort of just get this idea uh, across the whole indigenizing colonized spaces. Um, that's, that's kind of my, yeah, that's my main thing right now. Um, and then another thing that I've, another story that I've kind of discovered over the last few years is, um, food sovereignty. So I'm learning, like I'm personally learning, but also trying to document the, uh, this movement of native people feeding ourselves, you know, like either growing our own food or hunting and fishing in order to take better care of our health. So there's, you know, I, I can't really talk a lot about it just because I'm still learning a lot about this movement, about the idea of, of food sovereignty. But, you know, I'm photographing. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was in Cokagan, Michigan for the uh, Great Lakes Intertribal Food Summit. And they were, there was all these native chefs from all over the country there. And they were basically just making meals out of um, food that our ancestors once ate. You know, that we, we butchered a bison. I, I say we. I, I didn't do any <laughs> of the butchering. I was just photographing the butchering. Right. Um, they butchered an elk. Although the elk, you know, it, it had, because I'm crow, elk teeth kind of have like a, are significant to us. So I, I took some time and I, I pulled out the elk teeth for myself um, so that, you know, I could give it to my daughter because crow women wear elk teeth dresses and so I kind of pulled them out for her. Um, she, you know, she gets older, I'll make them into something. But yeah, that that's kind of one of the other projects that I'm working on is just learning more, documenting and photographing the idea of Native people um, kind of creating their own path when it comes to the food that we eat. And, you know, so I ate a lot of really good food. Um, I don't really do fish, but I did eat a lot of fish. And so I've kind of coming to appreciate fish more. Um, so, yeah. And then just whatever I can do, other like stories that I do that just happen to be with native people, you know, if, if I happen to be there, then I'm, I'm working on, on documenting whatever's going on with native people, you know, just to further illustrate that we as native people are still here, that we're still thriving as people and, you know, that we're, that we're strong. So those are kind of what I'm working on right now. And where can, is all this being posted to Instagram? Are we going to, do we have a book coming or where's it all going? Well, yeah, it's going on Instagram, you know, my Instagram page. 
And I, I've been kind of dormant on my Facebook page, but I've started to once again, post photos to, to there. Um, and yeah, as, as I work on stories, sometimes they get published, you know, in magazines or in blogs or, or not blogs, but like on these websites, you know, I used to do work for Indian country today. Um, and hopefully, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll start submitting or at least pitching them ideas again. Um, uh, just, just wherever, Native stories are. I'm going to hopefully start working on them. And then also galleries, you know, like I'm hoping to, to show more of my work in galleries. Um, oh, and then, yeah, so there's the big story, and I think I can talk about it, which is um, the Field Museum here in Chicago. You know, it's a big, you know, it's one of the, I don't know, it's a, it's a big, awesome museum. Yeah. But we are um, working on a exhibition that will open March 2020, and it'll be all about Crow people, like Crow women mostly, but Crow people. Um, it's called Absalagat Warrior, no, Absalagat Women and Warriors. And it'll just sort of be like, I don't want to say it's going to be a celebration of Crow people, but it'll, it'll like educate people about the Crow people. Um, it'll start with, um, displays of some of our traditional work that were that the Field Museum has in their archives from you know the 1800s and, and beyond that were made by our ancestors. And then as you go through the exhibit, it'll it'll uh, show more of like contemporary work. So we've got all these artists that are also that are going to be con- contributing artwork. Um, you know, like other Crow people, uh, Ben Pease, Elias Not Afraid, Kevin Red Star, Bethany Yellowtail. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other artists are going to be contributing work to that, including myself. So I'm, I'm documenting the process while also probably contributing art as well. So that's kind of the, the big, one of the big things that I'm working on with a bunch of other Crow people. So, you know, for Crow people at least, and I think for the all Native people, it should be like an exciting exhibition. So it'll be at the Field Museum for a couple of years, and then it'll go on the road for for a few years after that to different museums. Um, so yeah, that those those are things that I'm really excited about right now. That's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to see that. Um, we were up in Chicago a couple of years ago and didn't make it to the Field Museum, um, but I have been through there a couple of times. It's it's a it is an amazing museum. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing with the Field Museum is they're totally revamping their North American Indian Hall. Like, I don't remember what it's called, but they've already begun taking everything down and storing it, um, and they're totally going to revamp it. You know, the it, it was created in, I think, the 50s, and so it's been just the same for now, like, 60 or 70 years. Um, so they're totally redoing it. I don't think it'll open for another maybe three or four years, but when it does, it'll be awesome because it also, you know, they, the film museum is doing their best to do it in, in, in the right way, in a respectful way. So they have a committee of native historians, scholars, and academics who are kind of guiding how the exhibit should look. So it's, it's not going to be this, like how it is, how it was, which is just native artifacts behind you know, glass cases. It's going to be something uh, profound that we as Native people are sort of designing. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think the field is doing a great job. So I'm really excited for, for what they're going to be producing and showing uh, and of, of Native people. Yeah, from what I've seen, um, 
on some of the stuff online, they have an amazing collection. Uh, so it'd be cool to see how they can uh, put that to use in a new way. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Like I've been down to collections a few times. I actually, I'm actually going down to collections tomorrow because we have some vis- visitors from from Crow Country tomorrow. So I'll be I'll be there, and it's significant for me as a Crow person because you know I don't know when the last time like Crow hands touched some of these pieces you know that were created by Crow people you know 120 years ago. So in the moment, at least for me, I'm I'm not like a journalist or a documentarian I'm like a crow person and it's just it's like a very it's powerful moments when I can touch beadwork that was made in the 1800s and like I don't know maybe one of my ancestors touched it or made it and it, it's profound and so well there's all these arguments about like how they should not have these artifacts maybe you know for me at least I'm I'm glad they have them because then I can them I can touch them and so yeah that argument is, is something that will always happen but for me when I'm seeing these these pieces and it, it's just a profound moment for me sometimes I get a little teary and I, I get a little choked up when I when I'm seeing some of these stuff just because I'm like did they miss us you know like like are they glad that we're here and that we're, we're coming back to them so you know it's, it's it's a powerful moment for me at least yeah in it is a it's a tough uh it's a tough discussion that that people are having um i agree with you though for me i'm glad that that some of these places have them um it's better than being in a private collection in europe uh, for me yeah Yeah, at least they're they're here yeah and i was gonna say that yeah and i don't as far as i know the crow people don't have we don't have yet a way to to care for and preserve these artifacts so Right now, I think they're in good custodial hands until the day comes when co-people have the resources and the places to preserve these artifacts. And again, I'm just speaking for my opinion and co-people in general. Like, I'm not, like, just talking about any other tribes at all because I'm not. But but for us, I think it's it's okay right now because we don't we don't have the ability to to keep them safe or in good hands for another hundred years. So I think right now the field museum is a good custodian, you know, but that could change, you know, for the crow people. Maybe we'll, we'll have something more, we'll have something better down the road. Um, so I'm okay with it now, but, you know, I, I'm glad that they're also giving us access to these pieces that so we can see them. Right. That's important. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't been to collections at Smithsonian, but I know lots of people who have visited there. And same thing, it's you know they're letting people have access to these to these things, um, which is important. At, at least they're they're still being um, seen and um, researched and and cared for. You know, that's an important part. What you were saying, yeah, yeah. Um, so. I know you got, you got some really cool projects. I love the one you're doing um, with the native women in the, uh, you know, in the, the cities and uh, kind of in the urban settings. Um, it, you know, money's not an option. What's the, uh, what's some things that you haven't been able to shoot yet? What's, you know, what's your dream, uh, dream photo shoot right now? Um, I guess one of the things that I've wanted to photograph and, and sort of got a little bit to do of at the, the Pokagon um, food summit, you know, in the Great Lakes, was a buffalo hunt, a bison hunt. Um, I would really like to go 
and go along with, with native hunters on a, on a hunt. Even, you know, like, I would like to photograph that process from, from hunting to butchering to, like, the feast, to, to all of that, to, to how we use that. I would like to tell that story. Uh, it, it's not easy, you know, and, and specifically I would like to do it for crow people. Um, so that that's kind of one of the stories that I'm, I've been kind of wanting to do for a very long time. I don't know if and when it'll happen, but that's something that I... I I'm kind of hoping for. Well, we put it out and, there now, so who who knows? Maybe it'll come come about. Yeah, I hope so. You know, that's what I want to do. You know, like I, yeah, totally bison. I love I love bison. I love you know the animal. I love how I love eating it. <laughs> <laughs> I love photographing them. So you know, I'm very, they're very sacred beings to me and a lot of um, my brothers and sisters. So, and then uh, other stories. I don't you know like I kind of just go from whatever story is happening, you know, like whatever's kind of going on, you know, like I, I kind of, at times I go, I, I attend events or, or stories and I'm both a documentarian and sometimes a participant, you know, and, and because at the end of the day, yes, I'm a photojournalist, but at the end of the day, I'm also a native person. Like I, these things are near and dear to my heart. Like, when I was in Seattle um, a year and a half ago, um, they were doing the Women's March. And they, you know, they kind of dedicated the, the, uh, the Women's March in Seattle at the time. They, they were respectful enough um, to let Native people lead the march, Native women specifically. And so the last time I was there, they kind of emphasized the missing and murdered indigenous women movement. So for me, you know, that hit home. Like, you know, like I just, it's important for us to get that across that, that, that we need to protect our women. And when I got there, when I first, at the beginning of the day, it was extremely emotional for me. And I couldn't really make photos very well because I was so caught up in the moment. So I've, I've discovered that as I, as I grow, as a person, as a human being, that I'm not like a, a unbiased photojournalist anymore. Like I, you know, that's why I'd always tried to be. Was just I'm telling the tr- story. I'm telling the truth. But for me, at least, it's it's I can't really separate who I am as a human being from the journalist part anymore. Um, so I, oh, I still do everything I can ethically. I also recognize that I am a native person, and some of these stories are very can, can be very emotional for me personally. Um, so I've become sort of a participant as well as a documentarian in, in how I approach some of my um, photography when it comes to Native people. I think that puts a, yeah. you know, a personal touch in it too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, again, going back to your style, I think that is definitely part of your style that you, um, you're, you're telling stories, but you're telling stories that are personal to you and that comes across. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that help me aesthetically when I'm making a photo is when I'm making a photo of a person, whether it's like a power dancer or just a story, like, I know that for the most part, I think the person that I'm photographing, even though I don't know them, that they're going to see my photo. And I want them to be proud of that photo that they're in. I want them to, to have, a, have a sense of pride in the photo that I'm making so that, that kind of fuels a lot of 
the decisions that I make when it comes to posting or sharing or editing photos is, is this person, this native person, that sometimes I know and a lot of times I don't, will they be proud of the photo that I'm making? Will, they, will that make them happy? Will that you know, give them a sense of, of pride in who they are as a person? So sometimes, actually a lot of times when I'm making a photo, yeah, that totally um, influences how I'm making photos. And I don't know if that's ethically what a journalist should do or not, but as a native person, um, that's, that's what pushes me to, to make good photos. It, it's not... I'm not making the photos for myself. I'm not making them to, to make, quote-unquote, sing from the timber look good. I'm making them to make my brothers and sisters happy, proud, you know, like make them feel really good. So that's that's kind of what drives me a lot of the times with my work. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Well, I appreciate you spending the time with me tonight. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I... I can't wait for everybody to hear your story and uh, some of your philosophy behind your images. Um, again, you know, I, I, it goes back to your style, and I, I think I think people will appreciate your photos even more after uh, hearing a little bit more from you. So, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for you know all the support that you've given me over the last few years. You know, and and I'm just really appreciative of you of everybody you know that that follows me that looks at my work um you know i'm just thankful for what i do and for the people that i do it for so thank you thank you and that'll do it for another episode of powwow life thanks everybody for, again for listening so i promised you two things at the end of the episode so before we go let me tell you a little more about that head over to our show notes page and you'll be able to see some of Adam's work. We'll have links to his photo and his social media pages. Be sure to follow him on Instagram for some amazing photos. Head over to www.powwows.com powwowlife25. That'll take you to the show notes page all about this episode. We'll have a form on there. All you have to do is fill it out and you'll be entered to win our special giveaway this week. This week you can enter to win two Powwow CDs. You have two weeks after the release of the show to enter and we will draw a winner for two powwow cds and even better on the show notes page we'll have a link to this month's special giveaway thanks to our friends at pendleton we have another pendleton blanket to give away this one is called pathways and is part of their american indian college fund program so when this one is up for sale this the proceeds for this go to help fund scholarships for native students the blanket is amazing and was designed by a native artist. You have to see it to believe it. So head over to the show notes page, www.powwows.com slash powwowlife25, and we'll have a link there to enter to win that Pendleton blanket. And I want to say a special thank you to you for listening. Thanks for being here and subscribing to our podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm your host, Paul Gowder, and I'll see you down the trail. Good luck. Here's this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. 
We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.